This is Channel 253. In this episode of Interchangeable White Ladies. Building connections with people who don't look like me, who who may not be as far in their journey as me, and figuring out a way to like help them dream as well and help them work toward liberation. It's, it's kind mm-hmm. of what I do when I'm not, you know, doing the other stuff. Interchangeable White Ladies podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We, we fly, fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. Hi, I'm Melanie Denise Cunningham. And I'm Audrey Cunningham. And we're the host of the Channel 253 podcast, What Say You? This episode of Channel 253 is sponsored by PeaceWorks United and the Greater Tacoma Community Foundation. We're here to remind you that the 2020 census is getting underway and that you, yes, you, should participate. That's right. I know people can get nervous when someone from the government shows up with the clipboard. But here's the truth. Participating in the census will help us get our fair share of representatives to Congress. It will help us get more federal funds to our community, improve our school districts, and many other things. And you don't have to be a voter. You don't have to be a citizen, even. In terms of the census, you count. Ten questions, ten minutes. Census day is April 1st. Fill out that form. Thank you to PeaceWorks United and the Greater Tacoma Community Foundation for your sponsorship of Channel 253 and getting the word out about the 2020 census. One, two, two. interchangeable. White ladies! Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Annie. Today's essential question is what does it look like to center anti-racist work and marginalized populations within a K-12 classroom? And our guest today is Shay Martin. Shay is a lit teacher, researcher, and community organizer who dreams and works toward liberation with teachers and students across the country. Shay's work is explicitly rooted in radical love, anti-racist pedagogy, and seeking justice and liberation through intersectional coalition building. A native of the Washington, D.C. metro region, they began their teaching career in the classrooms of Jacksonville, Florida, where they taught English before relocating to Boston, Massachusetts. Through research and organizing, Shay partners with students, teachers, and system leaders working to disrupt systems of inequity and create schools that affirm the existence and brilliance of black, indigenous, and students of color. Their current research explores the impact of Southern U.S. culture and laws on the pedagogy and well-being of queer and trans teachers of color. A nationally recognized voice in equity and liberation work, Shay's work has been featured and cited in several journals, conferences, and blogs focused on anti-racist and inclusive education. Outside of their work in schools, Shay is known for making the dopest mixtapes and never bailing on a brunch date. Good morning. I love all the aspects of your bio. <laughs> Best here. bio ever. It's just like, bam, bam, bam. Oh, and don't forget the brunch. And I'm awesome. Right. Brunch is super So important. question about brunch for you. I mean, what is really the ideal brunch time? Yeah, what's brunch about? Talk to, us about brun- talk to us about brunch. Uh, so I feel like you can really have brunch at any time, right? But mm-hmm. I feel like. The ideal brunch time would probably be like 11 o'clock in the morning, right? Because if you do it at 11, then that gives you like an hour to eat and then like Mm -hmm. an hour and a half to nap afterwards because Mm -hmm. napping is essential for brunch. Um, (laughs) And then you have like the rest of your day to kind of live and, you know, be productive. Yeah. You know, you you haven't lost your whole day. You you haven't lost your whole day if you eat at 11. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Does that close then at like the one o'clock time or are you like a 2 p.m. bruncher? I mean, it could be it could be 2 p.m. I think that 2 p.m. would be pushing it. Like how much of my day do I want to devote to brunch? Right. Like mm-hmm. I think that if it's a 2 p.m. brunch, then I'm kind of like that's that's my day. Right? Yeah. Like I have like prepared for brunch and then I spend the rest of the day like, you know, winding down from brunch. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I feel like. 2 p.m. will be pushing it, but I have been to like those uh, brunch shows that go from like 12 to 2, and pretty much afterwards, I'm done for the day. Yeah. 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 It's it's over. Yeah. (laughs) Over. One of the things um, here in Abu Dhabi that I've been seeing since I got here is evening brunch. So there's Ooh. this whole thing about Thursday evening brunches, which I'm like, that's not really what the word brunch means. Isn't that just like, isn't that just breakfast for dinner? 
Yeah, but it's awesome because it doesn't really mean it could be anything. So you could be eating like sushi, pan Asian, whatever oh, okay. combination. But usually it's a buffet. Usually there's alcohol involved. Um, so it's just a feeling of yeah, brunch, but sure. it's in the evening. It's got the vibe. Of, mm-hmm. It's got the vibe of brunch, yes. but it's in the evening. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I mean, especially where you are, it's really hot during the day. So I mean, I could see like people, you know, in the evening when it's cooled yeah. off, they're like, yeah, I could eat some, you know, whatever I feel like and hang out with my friends. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about your backstory. Um, we mentioned in your bio, like where you grew up a little bit. Um, but can you talk a little bit more about your childhood and what made you decide to become a teacher? Yeah, so I uh, was raised in Alexandria, Virginia, which is like right outside of D.C. Um, and had like, like fierce advocates for parents um, as far as education. And I was literally the like horror student growing up. Like I was the bored kid with the potential who like just liked to cause ruckus in classrooms and like not do their work um, and rush through stuff and just like terrorize people. Um, And so I I often think that I am a teacher because of a curse that was put on me when I was younger (laughs) from teachers who said, you know, like when you grow up, you're going to have to deal with like, you know, those kids like you, um, which is like, I think kids like me are fantastic and dope and like cool. Um, But yeah, so I I grew up um, outside of DC and a lot of the times uh, I was bored, but I was also black. And, and mm. so that labeled me as a problem in classrooms. And so despite um, like how smart I was or how creative I was, um, I was always getting into trouble, always labeled as a mm. troublemaker. Um, and I remember distinctly when I was in like second grade, uh, I was taken uh, with my uh, other classroom, our classmates to a special reading class. And I was like super excited because I thought that I was like, it was like the advanced class and I was helping the teacher do all of this like really cool stuff with the kids and teach them how to read. And I got home and told my mom the story. And so the next day she went to the school and it turned out that my teacher had sent all of the black kids to remedial reading. Um, And the reason that I was helping them was because I was so far ahead. Um, And she just kind of assumed without testing, without asking questions that like all of the kids of color in the classroom like could not read. and so looking back on it, like I, I didn't think it impacted me that much, but I think that a lot of what I have done as a student, right, from like second grade on is trying to prove that teacher wrong, right? And mm-hmm. thinking about the impact that someone's like uh, bias had on me um, yeah. that I didn't even know about. Um, mm-hmm. And so I just remember going through school. Um, Often I would want to be in those like gifted classrooms, but teachers would say no because I was a troublemaker. And so I was bored and like was not um, acting right in quotes, right? In, in classes. And so they were afraid to put me in these like more advanced tracks. Um, and so I just kind of like, kind of like coasted by and, and got with like that, that average like BC student all the way through 12th grade. Um, and actually, when I was graduating from high school, I was going to become a jazz musician. So I like was not even thinking about teaching at all, um, and was like, "No, I'm going to become like a famous jazz musician and composer, and it's going to be fantastic." And then I realized that, like, one, like I didn't want to commit my life to being like super, super struggling musician, and. Uh, also, like, I, I wanted to do other stuff. And so eventually I became, um, got into teaching, and uh, it has been uh, such an incredible journey, um, and I, I love it. Um, I don't play jazz anymore for anyone who's, like, you know, wanting me to, like, play the song. I don't. Uh, but still love it just as much. <laughs> what, um, what instrument, or do you sing jazz, or...? So everyone in my family will tell you that I do not sing. So like, I am like the worst singer. Like, I don't know what happened, but like, I got the instrument, you know, talent and none of the singing talent. Um, So I went to school for jazz vibraphone, um, but I play like a ton of, a ton of instruments. And so vibraphone is a, uh, that's what I described as a metal, metal xylophone with a pedal. And you play oh, it with, awesome. yeah, you play it with four mallets, um, and you can replace, you can kind of replace uh, like a piano or a guitar mm. in a jazz band with a vibraphone, 
Um, yeah, it's a really cool instrument. I started playing in my sophomore year of high school and then got good enough to like go to school for it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those like niche instruments that people are like, what is that? And I think yeah. that I started playing it because no one else played it. And that's kind of how I live my life. Like if no one else does something, I'm going to do it and I'm going to be really good at it. So, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's why my mom owns a theremin. You, you guys know, <laughs> you know what theremins are? They're cool. Yeah. They're awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think she has one just because it was unusual. She was like, let me, uh, let me get into that. It's that's wild. that's rad. I so when it. you you mentioned like that's the thing that you got into when you were looking back at your K twelve experience or even into college, when do you think you encountered like a teacher that or did you even encounter a teacher that kind of offered that counter narrative in terms of um, giving you some mm. I don't know some push some hope some kind of like seeing the potential that you had did you have any of that experience in the K twelve system? Yeah, and I think it's really interesting. Um, because I, because of where I grew up and the diversity that exists in the DC metro area, I had a lot of teachers of color. Um, and I, I had actually, so I had a teacher, so after I was put into the remedial reading class, I got switched out of that teacher's class and back into a, another teacher's class. It was great. And so I had the same teacher um, for first, second, and third grade mm. named Mr. Miller. Um, and he was like fantastic and just like full of like joy and like love an encouragement um and I just remember him all of the time I would like rush through my work um and then turn it in and he would hand it back to me and say like you can do better <laughs> um and so I would be and I would be so angry um but I'm like I wanted to be first but he wanted me to be better um and he knew I could do better and so I really think about like him a lot and I and I actually when I look through my um my high school yearbook all the teachers write, like, you have so much potential, like, you're going to go far. Um, I was just, like, super lazy and, like, not interested in school. I was only interested in music. Um, but I had so many different teachers who were, like, fantastic and saw potential in me. I think about my 11th grade English teacher, who I hated at the time um, and, like, did not want to read any of the books. Uh, but she like did not give up on me and was like, no, like this book would be great for you. Like read this book, mm. try this book. Um, and so now looking back, like I often send her messages on Facebook. It's like apologizing for being such a <laughs> crappy student. Um, and she's like, no, it's fine. It's like, like I understand like everyone has their own journey. Um, yeah. But I definitely have had people throughout my life who've been like, no, like you, like you're better. Like you can do this. Um, despite my own like dealings with imposter syndrome and, and thinking that I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. So you're currently you've currently transitioned out of the classroom, is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So what is from what I saw um, online, like in some of the I don't want to sound like a creeper on your like Twitter <laughs> timeline, but um, you're such a creep. But like, <laughs> I know, right? It's like that fine line. Um, so it looks like you're doing a lot of work around consulting and like research. Can you talk a little bit about what is your current what's your current work? What does that look like? And is that why did you leave the classroom? Yeah. So why did I leave the classroom? So I think the the easiest response to why I left the classroom is racism. Um, <laughs> Sorry, so. I shouldn't laugh at that. Annie, can you ring the shame bell? Yeah, okay, so on. on our show, we have a shame hold bell. On. And Annie's the one who rings it because it's like literally there. Yeah, go. Ring it. Oh, there you go. I have to ring it away from the microphone because um, apparently when it's too close to the microphone, it just like it just blows out everything. So I had to move it away. Are you a Game of Thrones person at all? I, I'm not, but I know a lot of them. Can you explain so you the get, bell? Yeah, the, yeah, that's where it's from. It's from the shame bell. Okay. With, um, what's her face? Xerxes. Wait, okay. did I say her name right? Anyway, um, so talk a little bit about, talk about your experience. Sorry, back to, back <laughs> yeah. to the real question. Yeah, yeah. Back to racism. Yeah. Um, so I, was, I moved to Boston a, a year and a half ago, and I taught at a school that was um, probably, like, one of the highest performing charter schools in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, just dealt with a lot of, like, blatant racism um, in the classroom. Uh, and it was a space where I was doing, like, some fantastic work as far as, like, uh, literacy um, and students were making great progress, but the toll it took on me as an educator was just really like a lot. Um, 
And so I considered like leaving the school um, and instead, right, thinking about my students and the culture of that school, I knew there was a lot of potential there. And so I transitioned out, basically out of the classroom full time into like a part-time role where I was like a diversity, equity, inclusion coordinator for the school. Mm, Um, And that was this year and things just did not get better. Um, And policies were just super oppressive for students. Uh, Staff of color were leaving school mid-year. Um, students, my students led a protest, which was really cool for like, you know, them, but also really like sad that they had to mm. like stage a walkout to get any action um, yeah. to be done in the school. Um, and so I transitioned out uh, last month, early last month, uh, which was a super difficult decision to, to make, to dis- uh, decide mm. to leave, you know, students and work that I've been doing um, and really committed to, but and then I think that the the physical and emotional like trauma that I was you know kind of living through, um, which is not mm-hmm. worth it. Um, and so right now uh, I'm just doing like a lot of a lot, which is the best way to describe uh, my life. Um, and so I actually um, I'm on a research team at Boston University, mm-hmm. um, which is really cool um, because what we do is we partner with a lot of different. Um, organizations and um, agencies around the country to do different research. And so uh, we have a project in Florida we're working on where we're interviewing parents with the perspectives on school choice. Uh, We Mm. just started a project with the Boston Debate League where we're partnering um, and looking at debate-inspired classrooms um, and thinking about what does that look like? How do you measure it? How do you measure the impact of using um, debate activities or um, discourse activities in classrooms um, at a school that is a full inclusion school? So it's a really cool um, project. Um, I also do a lot of work partnering with uh, student groups and um, organizations and teachers, uh, coaching teachers who just like want to figure out how to make their classroom more inclusive for not only students of color, but also queer and trans students and looking at the intersections. What does it look like to make my class, you know, more affirming and more inclusive for my students, maybe in Alabama versus Missouri versus California, right? Those three places are totally different. And so uh, what does support look like? Um, And I'm also doing uh, right now a lot of writing. And so thinking about, you know, Mm -hmm. how do I help teachers and systems leaders understand uh, what it means to dream and work toward liberation? Mm. What does it mean to build coalition, coalitions across lines of difference? Um, especially when we're thinking about um, having these really difficult conversations and difficult work um, in our current political climate in the U.S., mm. right? So how does it, what does it look like to, to build coalitions that are productive and not traumatic and um, inclusive, so that we can figure out how to, you know, turn this thing around, how to get get something right for our kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You also mentioned online that your work, you center your work on intersectional feminism. So can mm-hmm. you explain kind of what does that what does that mean to you in the work you yeah, do? Yeah, so I feel like I have to use the word intersectional in front of feminism because oftentimes feminism is mm. not intersectional. And so <laughs> in my mind, like feminism should yeah. be intersectional, right? Like that's just what it should be. But uh, for me, like I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the ways in which uh, all these other identity markers intersect with gender um, and mm-hmm. sex. And so when I think about like centering it or rooting my work at intersectional feminism, right? I'm rooting it in like this idea of resistance and acknowledgement of oppression um, and the oppressive structures that, um, affect um, women and however you define that word I loosely define the word women um, hmm. and then also thinking about like what does liberation and resistance look like for uh, folks in a way that it is is intersectional that honors and affirms them in all aspects of their identities hmm. mm-hmm. do you think um, you could give us a really concrete example of what all that like might look like in the work, either what the work you mentioned with Boston University or you mentioned just the coalition building um, and some of the work you're doing specifically with teachers like in the classroom? Is there. Can you, yeah. Can you give us a couple examples of that? Yeah. So when I think about um, the work that I'm doing, just thinking about curriculum, right? Like it's mm. I think the easiest way to, to do it is to think about curriculum, like whose voices are included in your curriculum. Um, sometimes I'll like work with teachers to do a curriculum audit. Um, and so like looking through um, 
the books that they're choosing, like the books in their libraries, um, their classroom libraries, and thinking about, okay, like whose voices are you uplifting, mm. right? And not only whose voices and experiences, but are those experiences ones that are liberatory? Are, mm. are you only, do you only have books or narratives in your libraries, in your curriculum that are oppressive, right? Like is, is every black person in your, in your classroom library getting shot, right? Are they enslaved, mm. right? Like it's great that we have books um, like The Hate You Give, right? But what books are you using to counter that narrative of oppression, right? And of, of like just trauma, Mm-hmm. And so, like, do you also have books that are um, reflective of, like, the brilliance and, like, beauty and, like, glory of people of color, right? Mm-hmm. Do you have um, narratives that are told from the perspective of people of color, right? Um, and are those narratives, are they inclusive, right? Or who, the, who do they exclude? And I think a lot of times when I do my work, um, it is not just about making sure that you include everyone, right, in every narrative, because a lot of teachers are limited, right, by resources, by their own experiences, um, and we can't, if we're teaching, only teaching, like, seven books a year, there's no way we can teach every perspective, right, so my, my push is always to, to try to do that, right, mm. to, to, to push yourself to, like, try to include as many perspectives and narratives that are, that are affirming that you can, but if you can't do that, you have to name it. Right. And you have to, you really have to name where you are falling short Hmm. for students. Cause I think that a lot of times uh, when I think about wanting students to feel seen and affirmed and heard in classrooms, um, sometimes we can do it right. We can make sure that like our students see themselves in, in all the books and the text, but sometimes we can't, and I think it is almost as important to name when you can't than it is to make sure that you can. Hmm. Um, and so that's something that, like, I really work on with um, teachers is, is curriculum. Um, and when I'm thinking about uh, my research, right, I there's a lot of research out there um, about how having uh, queer teachers benefits queer students, right? Hmm. There is a lot of research out there about uh, the depression rate and the suicide rates and uh, the mental health statistics for LGBTQ students and people. Mm-hmm. But I think something that is often missing in the conversation, right, is the intersection of, of sexuality, gender, and race, um, particularly in uh, classrooms that are often overlooked. Look, yeah. I think are like the southern classrooms, right? Like, so, like, mm-hmm. what does it look like to be a trans teacher in Mississippi, right? A trans yeah. black teacher in Mississippi. What does it look like to um, be a queer Latinx teacher in in Texas or in um, Florida, right? And so, mm-hmm. a lot of my work and my research that I'm working on is is trying to amplify those voices and to figure out, right, like. One, like how do the policies um, and the cultures of those communities impact the pedagogy of those teachers? But also right. like how, how are those uh, like wonderful and amazing identities of those teachers, how are, those, how are those impacting the students, right? How are teachers able to queer their classrooms mm. in a way that's liberatory and affirming and radical and loving for students? Um, and so my work really focuses on, on addressing and acknowledging the, the trauma that exists in our classroom, mm-hmm. but also figuring out ways to um, uplift these liberatory experiences and the resilience of people of color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had, um, I was just, I, I'm the GSA advisor at my school. And um, one thing that I know has changed my relationship for the better with my students in my classroom, but then also in club is just being open with them about being queer because I so many students have um, don't have adults in their lives who are who are comfortable talking about queer identity and like they they'll talk about it with their friends and they'll talk about it you know but the, the, there are I think five four or five staff at our school who are openly queer who are out to their students and that's like in our school culture I think that's made our school culture so much stronger and better 
because the language that kids use has changed the way that they interact with each other in the classroom has changed. And, um, yeah, it's, um, it's been really, I think it's been, it's been really good. So I can, I can verify that that helps (laughs) the school culture. (laughs) It makes it better. I feel like queerness at its core, right. is like liberating and like, just like full Mm -hmm. of radical love. And I, and I just, I mean, I assume that everyone is queer until pr- proven otherwise. And I feel like that's the best way to it's go around policy. in the world because I just feel like queer equals love in my head. And so I just assume that people are queer and loving until they say otherwise. I just was going to say, I love the phrasing that you just dropped, um, queer the classroom. And I'm really curious, like, um, what might be some practical, you mentioned books um, that people might offer, or maybe if you have some book suggestions, but are there other ways, and also for someone who doesn't identify that way, like, is there some way that I can, is it, well, I guess we often talk on the show about, like, appropriation and some of those kinds of problematic things, so, like, in thinking about querying my classroom, is that is that problematic? Should I, like, not be thinking about that at all, or should I... Um, are there things that I can do that are more inclusive, as you mentioned earlier, like creating spaces that are more inclusive? Yeah, I think, so I, I'm not an expert on queering the classroom, right? And so I would say to honor the queer people in my life, I would say that maybe we can't, non-queer people can't queer the classroom, but I don't know if that's a thing, um, but. Yeah, that's why when you were saying, I was like, uh, is that. <laughs> no, right? I'm just going to say no, just <laughs> that thing is the right thing to say. Um, but I also um, think that there are, are things that allies can do to make classrooms like more inclusive for students, mm-hmm. right? And so I think, I mean, it goes back to like pronouns and um, mm-hmm. asking students for their pronouns. I want to be clear that like, mm-hmm. do not ask students for their pronouns aloud, like do not ask students to self-identify, like allowed first day of school, it's never thing people should do. Um, mm-hmm. But like on surveys, you know, asking, students you know for their pronouns I think also just like introducing yourself with with your pronouns uh sets the tone for classrooms Mm. um I think allowing you know students to understand the identity especially in literacy classrooms identity is elastic and it's fluid and I Mm. think that if we allow for that in classrooms and we and we preach that and we we practice that um that allows for students to really like explore and examine who they are mm-hmm. and grow. Um, and also allows for these amazing conversations to have or that you have when you're discussing literature, right? Like imagine like conversations in which identity is not static, right? And I think mm-hmm. there's so much, so much of, of our literacy instruction is based on this defined you know, structure, you know, we're like literacy, literacy edu- educators love like, like graphic organizers, right. And boxes <laughs> and like systems and activities. And I think as teachers and as people, like we want order, right. We want systems. That's what we like crave. We, we just want structure. Right. But the reality is that if, especially if you're teaching like kids, like they might need structure, right. Cause maybe like white supremacy yeah. is often that, right. But, like, in actuality, like, kids mm. need the room to, like, just be, right? To be yeah. free. So when I think about querying the classroom, I think about, like, doing the prep work beforehand to allow that to happen in the classroom. Mm. And so I think a lot of times when, when teachers try to, like, let kids be free, right, they, like, don't prepare for that, right? Like, mm. I want to make sure that people know that, like, Creating inclusive classrooms, creating affirming classrooms requires utmost intentionality on your part as an educator, right? And yeah. Not just like, I'm going to like have these really, really cool examples and I'm going to play this video of this drag queen or whatever and like kids are going to respond to it. Like all hell breaks loose, right? Because you don't prepare for it, right? Like if you're going to try to disrupt white supremacy or disrupt these like systems, you have to prepare for the discussions that are going to happen when all hell breaks loose with your kids, with their parents, right? And so please, like, make sure you're prepared. Um, But I also think, like, just simple things, like, like thinking about positionality in the classroom and thinking about the way your classroom is set up, right? Um, Is it a hierarchy? Like, are you at the head of the class, right? Um, Like, who do you call on for for certain things? What examples are you using in class? 
um, if you are giving examples about families, like are your families inclusive, right? Mm. Um, if you are talking about certain communities, right, and um, what they're going through, are you using inclusive examples, right? If you're talking about immigration, are you talking about the way that immigration affects queer couples, right, and, mm. and families with like, queer parents? Um, uh, are the books that you're choosing, are, do they have, you know, LGBTQ characters in them, right? Are they written by LGBTQ authors? Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, just want to say that the best books out there are both written by LGBTQ authors and feature those characters because I love them. Um, so uh, <laughs> the best book that I read last year, I, I would say hands down was uh, Gabby Rivera's Juliet Takes a Breath. Mm-hmm. Um okay. And it is, it's just like, like, and I have recommended that book literally to like every single person, mm-hmm. um, like in, in my life. And like, there has not been one person who's read it and like, been like, uh, actually you were wrong. Like you missed the mark. Like every <laughs> single person is like, yes. In fact, yeah. so I like, I, I, I started reading the book. I got to the first chapter, um, finished first chapter. And I immediately texted one of my kids back in Jacksonville who is queer, um, uh, queer Latinx uh, person and I said like give me your address like I'm going to send you a package um, and they're like what what do you need my address I'm like just give me your address like expect it in two days Amazon sending it right and so I sent them the package <laughs> at the time they like had this like job at Chipotle right which is I love Chipotle amazing so like shout out to Chipotle uh, and so like <laughs> they like they were working all day and then they would text me I'm a te- I was a teacher so like you know I'd be in bed at like nine you know so they text me at like 11 and they'd be like oh my gosh like I just like got done reading chapter three like can you talk and so like I would like get up and like text them back and, like <laughs> let's talk about like chapter three right and so like backstory in this kid right so this kid I taught in my first um year in the classroom and this kid like I had when I left Jacksonville um the kid like really struggled in school mm. and ended up dropping out, right? And so like had not been in school mm. and had not been reading. And they text they like texted me these like one week, right, to finish the book. And they're like, <laughs> I just like I want to like this book is everything that I ever was looking for yeah. in a book, right? Mm. Like this is like this is me. Um, and they're like, I I want to write now. Um, I want to like read more books. Like send me more books. Um, they are now like enrolled enrolled in like GED classes. Like this like That's book amazing. is like transformative, right? But like everyone that I recommend this book to is like, yes, Shay, you are right. I do not make bad book recommendations, so please go buy them. I just ordered yes. it while you were talking. I'm <laughs> <So>. you. <laughs> I feel like I know. I, I feel, feel like. <laughs> I feel like I should be Gabby Ramirez's friend now. I mean, like, not for real, that, yeah. Because I, I'm. You should like, tweet no, at her. She probably, yeah. Like, you gotta read this book. <laughs> sounds great. And I also feel like you should record yourself giving that story and then put it in the Goodreads because all those yeah. schools who are like with their one two stars on not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had um, I something I realized um, in reading a lot of of literature written by queer authors about with queer characters is that so. In the last, like, I don't know, five or six years, I would say that so many of those stories have kind of finally stopped being tragedies. Like, I remember reading in the early 2000s, like, reading a bunch of queer books, and they always end with somebody dying or Mm -hmm. someone, like, really getting their heart broken or, like, getting outed in a small town. And, like, they never had happy endings. And, like, not not that you always need a happy ending because not all endings are happy, but, like, could you have some queer characters who don't end up just, like, having a really bad time, right? And it's just been... I think, yeah, within the last, like, I don't know, five to seven years that there's been some, like, this explosion in queer lit that's, like, very, like, especially young adult lit that's very much focused on, like, um, joy and, like, happiness. And that's awesome. Yeah. And what I think what I like about it, right, is that, like, it's not just, like, those, like, unbelievable and, like, fake joy and happiness, right? It's it's not like it's ignoring, like, the issues, right? Mm -hmm. But it's, like... It's stories of like resilience and just like yeah. beauty and love despite it all, which is really cool mm-hmm. as opposed to just being like, oh, like this person grew up in like San Francisco and like yeah. never existed outside of just like very much like gay culture and it was perfect, right? And they're just like a white cisgender male. But now you get these like stories of just like every mm-hmm. type of person mm-hmm. being loved and loving and just like living, which is like fantastic. Absolutely. That's a really nice time to take a short break. This episode is sponsored by Pacific Lutheran University. 
Your student can go to college just about anywhere in the world, but have you thought about the school just down the street? When it comes to their undergraduate programs, PLU is a triple threat. First, PLU has a great liberal arts program that will expand young minds and help them thrive no matter where they go after leaving our campus. Second, PLU is part of the Tacoma and South Sound community, passing on the values of civic engagement to the next generation. And finally, PLU has programs that will prepare students for some of the most important and high-demand careers post-graduation. Liberal arts, civic engagement, and professional studies, a triple threat that will help your student thrive. To learn more, visit plu.edu admission. And we're, eh. we're back. Well, Hope's back. I don't know about we're the rest back, of us. I think. Uh, and Shay's back as well. Yep. I feel like this is a really time for, is it Eminem? It's like, guess who's back? Back again. I'm I mean, sorry. you could do that. You could do that. I, my students here finally, <laughs> so I'm at this new school and I've been here, what is it, this school year. And so students are finally, I'm starting, finally like loosening up a little bit more. Oh, yeah. So like one of my bad habits is that I like will hum a tune or like sing a song mm. based on what some kids said. And so I've been kind of like controlling that most of the school mm. year. And then it just started coming out in like the last month and a half. And kids are like, are you, is that another song? Why do you, you always, are you, are you? And I'm like, Your yeah, life sorry. is a musical that like you have a song in your heart and it won't know, be denied, you know? True. So actually what I was going to ask you, because you were talking about recommendations and that you have maybe even more recs. Uh, a friend of mine who uh, I'll probably just send her the message because I think this episode will probably come out a little bit after she has to do this, um, is asked to do a read aloud to a seventh and eighth grade classroom. And it's around equity. But they like give her this open ended thing and she's supposed to like read out loud and ask them questions um, for 90 minutes. And so she's looking for some. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I had to stand up. I was like, 90 minutes, and they didn't even give you any. So she's, like, you know, not sure what she should read or have the kids read. And her, um, like, she has a teenage daughter, but her daughter is, like, a little bit, reads a lot of mature stuff, right? And so mm -hmm. we were kind of bouncing ideas back and forth. But I thought you might have a recommendation. You know, what's what's good for a 7th, 8th grade classroom <laughs> she could do a read aloud in 90 minutes? Uh, maybe a short story or a short text. I don't know. Um, and this is focused on equity or yeah, the lens is like equity readings, which to me is like, what is that, right? Um, but she said, like, uh, she has a lot of freedom, I think, to bring in conversation about race and um, class and like, um, like sexism and all that kind of stuff. There's some freedom for that. But she also, I mean, she doesn't have anything to lose. And she's a very bold woman. So she'll just be like, mm -hmm. read this <laughs> and go forward. Um, I know her class or she was saying that the kids have also been doing some work around immigration stories um, in mm -hmm. their history class. So we were kind of talking about if there's a maybe something that kind of incorporates that it might feel more like less forced. Yeah, I think <laughs> so broad. Yeah. It's such a broad like, yeah, it's like 90 minutes. Like, <laughs> Read about race. Like, choose something. <laughs> know, exactly. And like you said, she's got to be prepared because I'm like, you can't even just be like, okay, guys, what do you think of this story? Right. You know, it's not. She has yeah. to have like 30 minutes worth of questions baked in there. Like while they're right. reading. Yeah. It's not just a. Yeah. So um, I actually read a book. Um, and I think it's called I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I wonder if she could read a chapter from that or two and I mean it, it deals a lot with uh living I think like in the in-between and yeah. living mm. you know as a daughter of, of immigrants and understanding those stories and does a lot with like immigration but also just like a coming of age um like tale of of a girl who's you know applying for college and so um this idea of what, what does success look like mm. um and what does it look like to define your yourself um i would also you know always recommend you know anything by um jason reynolds yeah um, thinking about like that age group um that's a good point yeah yeah i think um like those two um mm. would be like my two i also like would want i wonder like could she incorporate some poetry mm -hmm. and thinking about um like, I, I almost would suggest if you're going to, if you have 90 minutes to read about equity, right, um, thinking about doing a text set as opposed to just, like, one book. Yeah. And so, like, how can you incorporate, like, song lyrics and poetry? Mm. Like, what are you going to do with, like, can you incorporate some kind of art into what you're doing? Um, yeah. Yeah. 
or even like like what about graphic novels like something you know i mean 90 minutes are is a long time but also just like a very short time right <laughs> it's like there's so much out there um and i feel like there's just pre- there's always this pressure to get it right right mm-hmm. if someone's like oh, yeah hey like you have black history month or you have like this month you have like this much time like what are you going to choose right like, that is <laughs> decided that is very, you know it's a lot of pressure yeah um so much pressure so, yeah, yeah I, you know, but yeah, those, and then also like, don't be afraid to get it wrong. Um, mm. because I have 90 minutes, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I'm going to send her your bill for <laughs> your <laughs> consulting. <laughs> I'll be like, Tamara, here's the bill for the help that we just gave. They you. don't work for free. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know. Thank you. I really, I really appreciate that rec. Um, yeah. Thanks so much for answering that question there too. Um, Annie, did you want to go a different direction or? I don't know. Question? Um, you've done some work. I was just. What? No, I mean, go ahead. Go. No, <laughs> no, go ahead. no, you go. This is like we're at an intersection in Seattle because this is how people drive oh, here. Oh, God. So um, um, I was just going to ask about um, you. We started the, the show with question around, you know, how do you live a life or work towards anti-racism and. Um, and so I was wondering if there's anything else kind of as you think about that outside of the classroom and obviously your your whole life is around this work. Um, are there other things that you feel like are there ways that you kind of integrate that lens or just idea of inclusiveness into other aspects of your life? Um, yeah, I think, like you said, like my whole life is kind of is this work. Um, yeah. And so uh, a, a lot of what I do is asking questions. Right. And I like ask these I hope, uh, thoughtful and intentional and reflective questions of people in my life and of systems and structures um, to ask of, to ask in, in where they stand, right? And as far as, like, um, I think that to be anti-racist, to be inclusive, to be radical, to be working for liberation, you have to live explicitly, right? Mm-hmm. You cannot... Um, be implicit in, in your beliefs or your values or what you are standing for because the white supremacy and the systems of oppression affect people explicitly. Mm. Right. Um, and so part of my work in, in, in my, my life is asking those questions um, and challenging people around me to be as explicit in their disruption and allyship as the systems mm. in which mm. they are trying to disrupt. Um, another, another part of my work, and I think this is like, you know, I, I think we have, we have parts of our work that are like the hard part, right? That's the part that we have to do and the part that like is really important, that's disruption, right? And, and I yeah. would say an equal part of that work for me is this idea of dreaming and daring mm-hmm. to dream of liberation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that is, is very easy for, um, us. As, as disruptors, as people who are um, working against the system to disrupt, right? Like we are fighters, we're agitators, mm-hmm. that's what we do. Um, but I think it's harder for us to dream. Um, and I think that's because the systems that we're in um, yeah. have taught us, right, how to dream and taught us that dreaming is not possible. And the systems have trained us, right, because they're super strong, right? And they're they're built to last, right? They have... have kind of pushed us into a an existence of hopelessness an existence of like if we can only like if we can just have diversity we'll be fine right if we could just like yeah. get if we could just like get like the black and brown kids if we could just get them to like graduate like that would be the goal right the goal is like college graduation and for me that's like incredibly um demoralizing and like not enough right and so how do we dream past what already exists and this is something that uh, my friend Lucy and I talk about all the time is this idea of like dreaming, right? And so like, I think that dreaming is actually like the most radical thing I do on a daily basis mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. so much in this world wants me to not dream, right? Like yeah. so much of, of my existence and my work and, and the constraints and confines that like I work within says like dreaming is not possible, mm-hmm. right? And, I, and I'm not, you know, I'm also a realist, right? Like I know that, you know, my dreams may not come true in my lifetime, but I think dreaming for me is yeah. is the choice to radically imagine um, beyond what exists 
and beyond all of the oppression um, and all of the confines and all of the trauma. Um, and so I think that's what I do. And, and, and I think my, my dreaming is rooted in this idea of like radical love. And so building connections with people who don't look like me, who, who may not be as far in their journey as me and figuring out a way to like help them dream as well and help them work toward liberation. It's, it's kind mm-hmm. of what I do when I'm not, you know, doing the other stuff. That's awesome. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's kind of the perfect place to end um, the bulk of our discussion on, I think. Mm. Um, how can people get a hold of you, follow you, learn more about your work? Um, can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, so I am on uh, all the platforms as Shay the Scholar. That's S-H-E-A, like the butter, um, the scholar. Uh, you can also, like, shoot me an email at write Shay. So, like, writing like a pen, Shay at gmail.com. Perfect. Uh, we have a couple of ridiculous segments um, we'd like to shift into real fast. Perfect. Um, yeah, this I'm next segment's it. called <laughs> Champagne and Real Pain. Champagne for my real friends, real pain for my sham friends. So champagne is raising a glass figuratively, sadly not literally, maybe later at brunch um, or after I'm done podcasting when I go home. Uh, who would you raise a glass to? Who's doing the work? Who is um, being amazing? Who's challenging the status quo? Who's dreaming big right now? Raising the glass to one person? Uh, it could be several. Yeah, we got lots of we got lots of booze here. We got lots of champagne. Okay. Um, <laughs> Figurative champagne. Glass, raising the glass. Yikes. Um, so Val Brown and all of the Clear the Air crew. Um, all of the four amazing Disrupt Tech uh, ladies, Lorena, Julia, Kim, Trisha, um, Cody Miller, and, and Josh Thompson. Um uh, who else? Liz Kleinrock is, is, is doing great work. Um, I think that um, when I think about UDL, I think about like Lizzie Fortin and Cass Minor. Um, well, can I raise my last two? My students uh, who are fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, the POC at BCCS crew uh, who led the walkout last fall. Um, and I think like my students in, in Florida who are just like, who are killing it. Uh, my first students I ever taught are about to graduate. So shout out to the class of 2020. Um, yeah. I will see them in May and they're doing fantastic things. That's so awesome. Yeah. Annie, do you have any champagne? Um, I There's a um, resource that I was actually just looking at recently, and I'm glad that you brought up Queering the Classroom. Uh, Organization of American Historians um, has an article called Queering the Classroom, um, and it's just, it just talks about kind of um, queer history. And I think that t- as a history teacher, you know, seeing those kind of resources available now that weren't available even, a, you know, a year ago or a couple years ago, um, just like raise a glass to those folks who are doing the work. Um, they're not, you know, and for allies, not just hanging up a rainbow flag and calling it a day, but like actually incorporating <laughs> queer experiences into their curriculum. So champagne to them. Awesome. I will drink to all of that. There you go. Perfect. Uh, all right. Real pain. Who deserves some shame? Real pain. This is sometimes like too many people to list, but if we have oh. like one or two. Yeah. Right now. Um, so collectively, I'm going to say um, like the well-meaning white people who don't want to do the work. Um, but I have the shirt. It's fine, right? right? I got the flag. Right. It's no. fine. It's fine. It's fine. Actions speak louder than t-shirts. Uh, hey! So, like, those those people. Um, and then also, uh, yeah, people that don't wash their hands. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> For shame. And please wash your hands, people. I mean, that's, like, <laughs> it's taking this, like, virus and canceling conferences for you to wash your hands. Oh, I don't know if I yep. can trust anyone. So, those, yes, yes, those people. Yeah. Which mm, are often yeah. in the same category. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have. You're like, I'm immune. It's fine. I have some real pain for educators who consistently get pronouns and names wrong. Like, stop. Like, you can, re- you can remember 150 names. Like, you can handle it, you know? Like, um, like they them as a like singular pronoun like you can you can handle that like you're like capable you know at minimum you have a four years of college like you can handle it you know um i just really i don't understand people who don't 
like I had I have had a couple experiences in the last like two weeks in my pretty liberal community where educators have messed up kids pronouns and they've known those kids for years. And I'm like, just why? Like, you just need to stop. You need to stop doing that. If you're one of those people who just messes it up, just keep working on it because, like, sometimes it takes practice, right, to get to get into the mode. But, like, it shouldn't take that much practice. Like, it shouldn't take years of practice. Like, you should be able to, like, think about the words you say before they come out of your damn mouth. I know. I feel like this is a good time to shame Beth. <laughs> there you go. I had there it in go. my hand that whole time, so. <laughs> ready to go. Yeah. All right. Final segment, Annie. Do your fudging homework. Interchangeable. ladies! All right, my homework for the crowd is actually something Shay posted, uh, I don't know, a couple days ago, last week, something. Um, you posted an article from Crawling Out of the Classroom that was titled, If I Can't Opt My Kid Out of the Homophobia. Out of Homophobia. She, oh, the homophobia. Sorry. Oh, wow, I'm going to mess up. Back it up. Okay, here it is. <laughs> Crawling Out of the Classroom. The article is, If I Can't Opt My Kid Out of the Homophobia She Will Experience, You Shouldn't Be Able to Opt Your Kid Out of Reading Books with LGBTQ Characters. And long title, but I love it, and it's a great piece. And so I'm going to challenge our listeners to check that out, listen to that. And then also, I know this is a very education-heavy um, episode today, but I think there's a lot of implications for those of you that are not in education directly and just thinking about what your own kids are exposed to in terms of what they're reading and you yourself, what you're exposed to, what, who you read, what voices you center, um, and who do you listen to on your podcast and besides us, um, and, and so on, and how do you kind of shift that um, who you're centering in those voices. Mm-hmm. Um, my homework is to read One Teacher in Ten by Kevin Jennings. Um, I think I've recommended this book before, but it's really helpful for understanding the experiences of queer educators. Um, it's been edited a few times. I don't know if the most recent version is more inclusive when it, of people of color, um, but it was, it just, um, the original had a lot of experience, not just of um like white gay males, but like of trans folks, non-binary folks, and their experiences working in schools. Um, it's a really, it's a really great resource for anyone, not just for for queer educators themselves, but for everyone. So I, I highly recommend it. It's a lot of personal stories about what people have been through, and uh, it really puts in perspective what it's like to teach as a queer person. All right, Shay, got some homework for us or for our listeners besides going and buying um, the book that Annie already purchased. Great. Um, so I think uh, thinking about like, you know, uplifting and affirming and, you know, radical love, uh, my homework for, for folks would be to uh, go out and listen to Brittany Howard's album, Jamie, um, because that is um, queer and black and radical and loving in all of the forms. Thank you so much for taking your time um, on this Sunday morning. We really, really, really appreciate it. I hope we don't make you too late to brunch. Brunch can wait. <laughs> what? Never. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not. It's not two p.m. yet, so we're still in the. You're right, still in you know, the window. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're window. so good. <laughs> Thank you again Thank so you. much. I really appreciate it. Have a great Have day. Have a good day. Thanks. Bye. 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 Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We, we fly, fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on AlaskaAir.com. I had so many tabs open today. It was out of control. I don't even want to talk about it. I get, we, I get made fun of at work all the time. Kids are always like, why do you have so many tabs open? Well, children, yeah. this is how the inside of my mind looks. The Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is part of the Channel 253 Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, Flounder's B-Team, We Art Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.